Hey, good morning, Rockbridge. It is good to see you this morning. My name is J.C. Groves, campus pastor at the Ringgold Campus, and we are glad that you're here with us at one of our six campuses this morning, Dalton, Chatsworth, Calhoun, Hickson, Tennessee, and Cleveland, Tennessee, and I am so glad that you have made it out. I know there's a lot of places you could be today, but you are here on this last Sunday in 2019. It's hard to believe that 2020 is just a couple days away, and I am excited that you're here, and it's going to be an incredible year as we continue to advance forward. And thinking about advancing forward and moving into the new year, I want to take a look at a man in the book of Nehemiah. That's where we're going to be this morning, chapter one and a little bit of chapter two. And what I love about Nehemiah is this man saw a need and he met it with action. Nehemiah saw a need and he met that with action. He looked at the world and didn't see what was. He saw what could be. He was a man of plan, a man of action, and God used this man. I thought of this quote this week from D.L. Moody. This quote says, the world has yet to see what God will do with a person that is fully surrendered to him. I want to be that kind of person. The world is yet to see what a what God will do with a person that is fully surrendered to him. I believe buried deep within all of us, there is this desire to live a life of vision and significance. We want to be something. We want to do something for the kingdom. Throughout Bible, we see many examples of God using single surrendered individuals to do incredible things for him. Not just on the pages of scripture, We see people throughout church history that God has used to do incredible things for the kingdom. And all of these individuals, they had success in the kingdom work because they were fully surrendered to the vision of God for their life. That word vision, going into 2020, that's that's something that we tend to talk about. Look at this quote. It says, vision is born in the soul of man or woman who is consumed with the tension between what is and what could be. There's always this drive, this motivation to continue to move forward. I believe that God is seeking out individuals to advance his kingdom to continue to move it forward. He doesn't look for the folks with the most education. He chooses to use people who are faithful, fervent servers. He uses men and women who possess a great burden, a desire to do more and to move forward. And I believe that you would agree with me that the church, not our buildings, but the church, we are in desperate need of a move of God. We need restoration. We need him to move like never before. Now, there's no shortage of people who would agree with that statement that they want to see a revival, a move of God. But there is a shortage of people who are willing, if you will, to do something about it. When you hear that statement, the problem is the majority of people are waiting on somebody else to do something about it. When God is calling all of us at all six of our campuses to advance his kingdom forward, nearly every great move of God can be traced back to one or two sold out, surrendered individuals who said, I'm going to do what God wants me to do with reckless abandon in foolish obedience. I'm stepping out in faith and going to follow him. And such was the case in Nehemiah's day. 
the gentleman that we will be talking about this morning. Jerusalem had been in ruins for many years, and many of the Israelites noticed a problem, but nobody did anything about it. And then God found a man, a man with a burden, a man with a burden that led to action that ultimately led to a revival for his people. This morning, we're going to talk about Nehemiah. And when I look at the book of Nehemiah, just a little history, a little background to set the stage. Nehemiah was among the Hebrews who remained in Persia in the empire following the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. So he's a servant to the Persian king. He served as the cupbearer for the Persian king, Artaxerxes. And this is where uh, he would serve as the rest of his days, as the cupbearer for the king. He would return in Jerusalem in 445 BC, about 13 years after Ezra had returned there, because the temple had been rebuilt for about 70 years. But the walls that were surrounding the city had been torn down by King Nebuchadnezzar and they were destroyed and they laid in ruins, leaving the city and the people inside of the city defenseless and open to enemy attack. And in spite of much opposition and numerous hurdles that Nehemiah had to jump over, what we're going to discover this morning is they rebuilt the walls and they did this in 52 days. He saw a need, he met it with action and advanced forward. Nehemiah was a man that was burdened for his people. He didn't know it at the time, but God was preparing him while he was a cupbearer for a great work. Nehemiah's heart broke for his people, as we'll see in a moment. And I believe that many times a God vision is birthed out of brokenness. So often the things that concern us or annoy us is the Holy Spirit prompting us to action. Nehemiah couldn't stay in his comfortable setting. He had to be prompted to action. God was moving in his life, and he was about to use Nehemiah to restore Jerusalem. God found a man with a vision, a burden, a prayer, and action. Now, there are many similarities between the church of today and the city of Jerusalem. And I don't think that any will disagree with me that the church is in need of revival. The question is, this morning, that I've been asking myself all week as I've been thinking and praying about this message, is Who will be willing to get up and do something about it? Here's my challenge to us, us, Rockbridge. Moving into 2020, I want to ask this question. Who will be the one? Who will be the one to answer to the call? Who will stand when those around you fall? Who will be a light in the darkness, as Matthew 5, verse 16 says, that we are to shine our light before all men. Nehemiah answered this call and said, I will be the one, and we see God use him in a great and a mighty way. Are you willing to make a difference? Many people have the idea that I'm just one person. I'm not of a lot of significance. JFK said one person can make a difference, and everybody should at least try. One person, you may not feel like you can do a lot on your own, but one person, 
can make a difference, and we all should try. Each one of us doing something collectively is like a mighty force that God can use. So I want us to look at some attributes that this man, Nehemiah, possessed and how we can take these characteristics and apply them to our life and answer the call. I will be the one. The first word I want us to look at that Nehemiah had was priorities. This man had some major priorities. His heart broke for the things that broke God's heart. Look what he says. In the 20th year of the king's reign, I was at the fortress of Sushan. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some of the other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and about how the things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well. For those who return to the province of Judah, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Here's what you have to understand. Nehemiah is serving as a cupbearer in the city of Shushan. He's here serving the king, but his heart is in Jerusalem. Every day that Nehemiah wakes up and goes to work faithfully serving the king, his heart and his mind are in another place. They're where his people are at. I get this feeling. I know kind of a little bit of what Nehemiah is feeling in this moment. For two and a half years, God led my wife and I to serve in Salt Lake City, Utah. We served at the Canyons Church there, loved it. But every single day that I woke up, My heart was in the city of Ringgold with my people. I knew that God wasn't finished with us there, but I wanted to serve faithfully here, praying and dreaming and preparing for the day that God would bring us back to Ringgold. Thank God seven years ago, he brought us back to the city of Ringgold to start Rockbridge Ringgold, and it's just been an incredible journey. So when I read this and I hear about Nehemiah's heart breaking for his people, I know that tension that he's feeling. He's serving faithfully, but his heart is breaking for people in another place. Nehemiah, every day, goes to work, dreaming, and praying about his people. He asked his brother, Hananiah, hey, how is the city? How are things going there? And what Nehemiah learns is that God's city is laying in ruins. The walls are broken down. The gates have been destroyed. They're consumed with fire. And in these next verses, we see Nehemiah's heart. We hear and get to watch how his priorities were so in line with the heart of God that it prompted him to action. Let me remind you what scripture says about priorities. It says in Matthew 6, 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will be also. He also says in Matthew twenty two thirty seven that you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Man, I read these verses, and I've been asking myself, what are my priorities? Where are my priorities? Better yet, where is God in my priorities? Where is God in my life? 
It's a great question for us to ask ourselves, Rockbridge, as we move in to 2020. Do the priorities of our life reveal an immense burden, an immense love for the Lord? You'll notice not only did Nehemiah have his priorities in line, but those priorities led to this, a burden. A burden for the things of God. Nehemiah 1 Three and four says they are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem had been broken down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Even worse news concerning this city that the Jews survived the exile is that they're encountering trouble and disgrace, that they are despised and oppressed by their neighbors. And it caused Nehemiah to grieve for his people. Notice what it said. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. He he did more than just say, oh man, that's horrible. I feel so bad for them. No, it broke his heart. He had a burden for these people. I, I asked myself this question this week. Are me and God crying about the same things? Do I have a burden that breaks the heart of God, that breaks my heart? Are we crying about the same things? I believe if you are a person who is burdened and those priorities are in line with God, that your actions will speak louder than your words. Your actions will speak a lot louder than the words that you say because if you're burdened, it will be evident not by what you say but by what you do. Anyone can say that they have a burden for others, but a true burden will prompt us to action. Over the last few months, you've heard us here at Rockbridge talking about and asking you the question, who is your one? Who's that one person that's close to you but far from God? We have hundreds of names that have been turned in. That's a burden. That one name, that one person that you want to see come to find a fresh start, newness of life, joy and peace in Jesus, that's a burden. That's what we're talking about. Do my priorities line up with him? Do I have a burden to see those people come to know Jesus? I love Nehemiah's response here. It's four four steps. He wept, he mourned, he prayed, and he fasted. The Bible says that Nehemiah sat down and wept. He was brought to tears by the condition of the people of the city of God. Does it break our hearts when we see God's children apathetic towards the things of him? They're doing everything but following Jesus. Does it break our hearts that there are multitudes of people who will never hear the gospel, who are lost? Does it break our hearts, church? Nehemiah's not weeping over walls, he's weeping over people. He's not talking about brick and mortar, but people who are outside of the protection of the wall. That's what he's crying about. He's got the priorities of his father. When Jesus approached the city, he wept. And look what Jesus said. They're sheep having no shepherd. And he wept for the people of this city, the same people, I remind you, that would crucify him as well. Nehemiah weeps 
over the city. Jesus said, they are sheep without a shepherd. How long has it been since we've gone to God and cried out to him on behalf of a loved one, a friend, a coworker, our city? God, give us that kind of burden. Help us have a kind of burden that our hearts break for people who don't know Jesus. Nehemiah didn't just weep and mourn, but he fasted and he prayed. Here's a a good illustration of fasting. I like this. It says, fasting is a temporary surrender of something that is in itself good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. It's giving up something in order to gain. It's giving up something to show, hey, this is more important. Nehemiah weeped and mourned and fasted and prayed for days. Hey, I will give up everything because I want to see you move in such a mighty way on behalf of my people, God. We see throughout uh, the Jews in exile that fasting had become a common place. You can see that Daniel fasted. We also see that Esther fasted and Ezra fasted. This was a common place for Jews in exile, in captivity. And throughout this, And though he was close friends with the king, Nehemiah didn't just mourn, he didn't just cry, he didn't just fast and give up in order to gain, to hear the heart of God. He went above the king's head on this one. He was friends with the king, but he went above his head with this issue. He humbly bowed and cried out to God Almighty on behalf of his people. And in great anguish and in great faith, Nehemiah prayed one of the most beautiful, powerful prayers in all of Scripture. This is not a selfless, uh, selfish prayer. This was a prayer of intercession, crying out to God on behalf of his people. Listen to this prayer. O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses, that if you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you will return to me and obey my commands and live by them, even if you are in exile to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to a place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people that you rescued, By your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put me into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah, he knew that God hears us when we pray. Hey, friends, 
The same God that Nehemiah prayed to on that day is the same God that we pray to in this day. The same power and promises that Nehemiah stood on that day are the same power and promises that we stand on today. He knew the promises of God. What are those promises you ask? He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. He says in Matthew 21, and if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. You want one more? Look at this. Whatever you have, ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Friends, this is believing. These are promises that we can believe to, not prosperity, not name it and claim it. These are holding true and trusting that God is who he said he was and that is faithful and that is true. Nehemiah stood on these promises, the same promises that we can stand on. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice something. When Nehemiah began to claim the promises of God, God enlisted Nehemiah to go to work. It's more than just praying for him. It's more than just having a broken heart for these people. He said, all right, Nehemiah, you're praying about it, but now I'm gonna enlist you to get to work. The prayers concerning the people of God would be answered, (laughs) but Nehemiah would have to roll up his sleeves and get to work. It was a time for action. Church, we have got to put feet on our prayers. Vision without a plan is fantasy. And God is calling us to action. He's calling us to advance his kingdom forward. The days of sitting back and just waiting for somebody else to do it is in the past. God is calling us to action, to advance his kingdom forward. And here is where you see the third characteristic of Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a passion. Nehemiah had a passion. He had a burden. He had a purpose. And now he has a passion. Notice the last phrase of that. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. You know what this does? This speaks to the selflessness and the sacrifice of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the position of a cupbearer. It was a valued position, not just given to anyone. Hey, favor is found not in where you are, but in who you are. Nehemiah was a Hebrew slave serving a Persian king, but he was the cupbearer. Nehemiah was a man who lacked nothing. He didn't live in Jerusalem in the ruins. He lived in the palace with the king. He ate the best food and drank the best wine. He was protected and provided for, but God was doing a work in his heart. A cupbearer would taste the king's food and wine before it ever reached the king's lips in case somebody was trying to poison him and overthrow him. This person would be very close to the king. He had a lavished lifestyle as a servant. But I don't want you to miss this. God had placed an immense burden in Nehemiah's heart for Jerusalem and the people of Israel. He was a man who lived a great life. He had a life of peace, of prosperity, of power, even as a servant. But Nehemiah was about to take a step out of his comfortable lifestyle 
he would leave his important job with the king in order to do a great work for God. He was about to take a massive step of faith. His priorities, they were in the right place. They lined up with the priorities of God. His burden, it was real, and his passion was red hot. Nehemiah had a desire to accomplish this God-given task that was so great that the king could see it all over Nehemiah's face. Look what he said. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of the king's reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. So he goes on to tell him why he's sad. Look at this. I replied, long live the king, but how can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruin and the gates have been destroyed by fire. (laughs) Look what happens. Then the king asked, how can I help you? How can I help you? This is a Persian king asking a Hebrew slave, how can I help you? Look what he says. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. (laughs) Man, I love this. I believe that this is a direct result of Nehemiah's intercessory prayer to God, that the king's heart would be uh, soft towards him, that he would find favor with the king. The promises of God that Nehemiah was standing on are coming to life right before us. And immediately, Nehemiah gets to work. Nehemiah picks up and starts going to work. And as you read the rest of the book of Nehemiah, I want to encourage you to do that. Because this is an amazing story of Nehemiah seeing a vision, but how God uses him to rebuild the wall in 52 days. But let me give you a snapshot of the rest of the book of Nehemiah. This is just the start. He didn't go into his time of prayer, of weeping, of praying, of fasting, of mourning, and just come out and say, oh, I hope everything goes good. No, this man had a plan. He didn't waste any time. He said, I'm going to get ready so when the opportunity presents itself, I'll be ready. My dad used to always say, when the opportunity presents itself, it's too late to prepare. Nehemiah understood that and said, I'm going to be ready. And so what we see is Nehemiah... He takes the first step. The first step. King, can I go back to Jerusalem? Step two. Hey, I ain't got no money. Will you pay for this vision? (laughs) Step three. Also, King, there's a lot of people who don't like me or like my people. Will you give me some letters that say that you're giving me authority to be there? Step four, can I go to Aspen, who is over the forest, and get some wood because we don't have any lumber to rebuild the gates? Step five, he goes to Aspen. 
hey, uh, I don't have any money to purchase lumber, and I'm going to rebuild a city that you don't like. In fact, you actually hate, but I know you're going to help because God is working step six. Hey, by the way, could you make me the governor of Jerusalem so when I get there, the people who are there will know that I have authority and they will listen to me. Step seven, I'm going to go ahead and gather all the Hebrew people and just show, share the vision. I'm going to share the burden. I want them to hear my passion. I'm going to start delegating authority and responsibility and empowering these people. Step eight, let's build. <laughs> he didn't just go and start building. He had a plan. Many people get a vision and go, let's build, but they skip all the steps to get there. You gotta go and do your prayer time and come out with a plan. So when the opportunity presents itself, you are ready. I believe that great ideas fell every day due to poor planning. That's why I love Rock Ridge Community Church because they have a plan. Rock Ridge has a plan. Years ago, the vision was set. Matt and Beth moved back to start Rockbridge, 25 people meeting in a drugstore. Look at where we are at today. This vision, this passion, this burden of us, Rockbridge, continuing to advance forward. I think seven years ago when we started the Ringo campus, it was just a vision and God continued to burden some people for the city of Ringgold, for the city of Calhoun, for the city of Chatsworth. Seven years ago, Cleveland and Hickson, you weren't even a thought. Look at where God has brought us now. In six cities, God is using and continuing to advance his kingdom for. And I love it because there is a vision. There's a plan. What's our plan here at Rockbridge, you ask? We got two opportunities for you to jump in. To start with passion today, serving and be in the hands and feet of Jesus. Our hope initiative is a great opportunity for you to be part of the plan of glorifying God by connecting people from all walks of life to life in Christ. Hope is a great opportunity for us to help those that are hurting, those that are outside of the faith. And we do that through educational needs and those that find themselves in poverty helping the hurting. This is a great opportunity for you to take a step today, a very practical step. If your heart is broken and you say, I wanna be part of the plan that God is using Rockbridge to advance forward, jump in with a hope initiative. Maybe at one of our campuses this morning, you notice there's a small army of volunteers that are serving. We call those folks bridge builders here at Rockbridge. Man, be a bridge builder. Be part of what God is doing on Sundays, serving in kids, ushering, greeting, serving coffee, working on production, being part of the worship team. It takes every single one of us at all six campuses being part of his story to continue to help folks connect to life in Christ. We have a great opportunity to move forward. In 2020, God wants to do some incredible things. But I ask you this question again. Will you be the one? Will you hear the call? Will you start planning and preparing and being motivated to action to advance his kingdom forward? If your answer is yes this morning, Rockbridge, I can tell you this. God will reveal what is broken and what is in need of repair right around you. He will show you the people that are hurting 
and are in danger and how you can take a step of faith. Be a bridge builder. Be part of hope. He will give you such a passion and a burden that it will cause you to weep and to mourn and to fast and to pray. And it will break your heart for those people who are close to you but far from God. And ultimately, he will show you the proper steps to take to begin the process of restoration. Right, Bridge, I believe this with all my heart. The best days are yet to come. God is taking this church as we continue to advance forward his kingdom. Not our name, not our lead pastor's name, not our worship leader's name, not our campuses, his name. If he be lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. And I'm excited to be part of a team that God is using to advance his kingdom forward. Continue to be part of what God is doing here. And in 2020, answer the call. I will be the one with a burden, with a passion, and with a plan. Let's pray together. Father, I love you. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for this church, these thousands of people that are gathering across all six campuses today who have one purpose in mind, and that is to glorify you by connecting people from all walks of life to life in you. God, I pray that passion will be even more hotter as we continue to advance into 2020, that we will be part of your plan by volunteering, by serving in hope, by seeing a need and meeting that need with action. God, give us a burden. Give us a burden for what breaks your heart, breaks our heart. Father, I pray for folks that are far from you that they come back today. I pray for that one who doesn't know you, that today is the day they give you the steering wheel of their life. Say, God, I choose to follow you for the rest of my days. God, I pray that you will continue to advance your kingdom forward and use us here at Rockbridge Community Church to be a light in the darkness for you. I love you, Jesus. It's in your strong name that we pray. Amen.